There's wacky Nicolas Cage. There's completely unhinged Nicolas Cage. This one, I, I'm pretty sure, is totally unhinged from what yeah. I've seen in the in the trailer. It so, looks like he's playing the role of that, like the the sagely, somewhat crazed sort of hermit of martial arts power. He's sort of like, like he's sort of like feral Obi Wan, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to episode 286 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm not a pipe. I'm Sam and I'm the artiste. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is November 2020, Blundy. Before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be a profanity on this show. It's positive, but it's there. So just be aware. I thought that you skipped the like actual the, day of the month because I was having trouble grokking. It's just a lot yeah, of 20s. Just a lot of 20s. Mm. A lot of 20s all stacked on top of each other. Uh, we'd also like to thank our recurring supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. Thanks for letting us grab your money to support the podcast. All right. Let's talk about life. Let's talk about how's that how's that radioactive cat doing, Adam? Mm, this is a big hit. We talked about last week. Yeah. So, so yeah. That, Last week, I, I talked about how we took took our cat, new cat, old, old grandma cat, to get irradiated, well, irradiated in a very specific way. Not blasted with radiation, which is one way to do it, but injected with radioactive chemicals, which is way more different. Cool, you know. It's way more oh, yeah. rad. Huh? Yeah. Uh, that's, that's, yeah. See what I did there? Uh-huh. Uh, so, so anyway, so, uh, so after that happened um, – I, I, we couldn't we couldn't handle her, you know. We couldn't like hang out, and it was it was very sad. She was trying to get on my lap, and I had to be like, "No," and she doesn't understand because she's a cat. So I just felt really bad, and I was like, "How much does it cost to get a Geiger counter?" You know. So I went to Amazon because I mean, Amazon sells everything. I assume they sell Geiger counters. Sure enough, they do, and uh, and it turns out you can get one for eighty bucks, which is just not that much. You know, it doesn't seem right. It seems it does, wrong. It's about right. as much as it's about as much as like a. Carbon, like a good carbon monoxide detector. Yeah. You know? So I saw that and I was like, okay. So on the one hand, if I got this thing, then I wouldn't have to take an extra trip to the vet. Because the last trip to the vet is like two weeks after. They have to do it for a Geiger check where they then pass fail and say like, oh, yeah, you still can't touch her or whatever, right? Um, But uh, as much stress as that causes her, like the whole – I was just like, you know what? If I can buy a Geiger counter for 80 bucks – yeah, it's kind of useful. <laughs> Maybe there's someday we get irradiated by a nuclear thing and I can detect it. So, you know, it's a good investment, obviously. So It's just yeah. fun to have. Like, that's You've got to have one. Yeah. And that was it's a reality. A but it was, like, it, was, you know? yeah, it was just fun. I was, talking about, I was talking about my wife about it, and she was just like giving me the eyeball, you know, and I was like, don't worry. Buying it with my own money, not family money, because I get this. This is a little absurd. Uh, <laughs> and so, but really, it's just like a toy, you know? And so I got very excited about it. So that arrived on uh, on Monday. And... Uh, uh, and I so I you know pull the thing. It's, it's actually a small thing. It's like the size. It's a smaller than a TI calculator. It's like a it's like half that size. Actually, I will say it's it is far sleeker and cuter and brighter yeah. feeling than any Geiger counter I have ever seen in any game uh, context. Yeah, I've only even seen like them futuristic in, context. Yeah, you know? I've only seen them in movies where it's like a big ass, uh, like almost mm-hmm. like one of those old flashlights. Remember those things? So it's like a giant flashlight yeah. with a handle on it. Yeah. Um, no, it's, it's like a little. It's just like a little device. It looks like a. Shit, I don't know. Like a like any, it looks any like a thermostat. With a tiny screen. It looks like a thermostat or something, right? It's just yeah. a little thing. Um, so I got it out, unpacked it, you know, and it has it has the clicks, which is just super fun, you know. And so it it counts clicks per minute, and then it converts that into various uh, uh, various um, 
metrics. So the, the metric that I'm using is micro sieverts per hour, whatever the fuck that means. But yeah, of course. Uh, but, but, so, about that. Mm-hmm. but it is, so I turned it on and it's like, it's just like ticking. But I was like, oh, so it sounds like in the movies, you know, where you get that little tick going. It's like random, random little tick spikes. As I pull it out, you know, I turn it on and then uh, New Cat is just like walking in circles around the kitchen island where I'm doing this. And so I'm on one end of the island. And every time she hits my end of the circuit, like it just like ticks up a little bit, you know, but she's on the floor. (laughs) So she's like four feet away, relatively speaking. So, uh, and what the, what I vaguely remembered from a million years ago with, with this kind of thing is that radiation falls off exponentially because it's going out in a bubble. Right. And so as, as you move away from the point source, then just less of it's hitting you. Right. By exponential. Because of, because of volume. Because of volume. Basically. So. Uh, yeah. So I was like, okay, so if I can feel it, like, or I can hear it as she comes around, right? So, so clearly she's radioactive, which was already really hilarious just conceptually. Um, but then, <laughs> then I brought it down really close, and it just like it accelerates exponentially, like as you bring it close to the to the point source, you know. Which I was just so fucking amused by. I just like because. I don't know why it was, just, it was just like a it was like a from the movies kind of thing, you know, with like the Geiger counter ticking, and like yep. it gets more and more scary as it like starts. And it suddenly just accelerates and it's going like crazy. It's got like a little light on that's blinking, except, and it starts blinking so fast. Except it's on, on the yeah, except on the other end of it is just this adorable cat. Yeah, it's just a cat. Yeah, like, there's like, like, like it feels like one of those horror movies, right? Where they're like trying to like what's happening in here, uh-huh. and then they're like waving the the detection wand and then around, you find and the it source. starts like. And you're like, oh, good, wait, it's the cat. And then uh-huh. the cat's like, blah, it turns it, you know, it turns into an eldritch horror or some shit. Um, yep. Except it was just so, your cat. Yep. <laughs> so it's pretty funny. So I made a, I made a video of it, which I posted in a few places, but, um, uh, but if you go to my Instagram, that'll be the easiest way to find it, which is at, at very music at, at damn Coster, A-D-A-M-N Coster. Um, so if you want to see, a, so if you want to see, uh, what the radioactive sort of path looks like going towards a cat, it's pretty funny. Um, but yeah, so mm. it's been, it's been very, and I've been and every evening then when I'm feeding her, I just put it down by her bowl so that she's relatively stationary and it's kind of a relatively constant positioning. So I can, so I've just been measuring it day by day just to watch it fall off, you know, uh, which has been very, I think that the, the core lesson I took away from this experience so far is that, is that measuring, measuring a, a phenomenon that falls off exponentially with distance on a moving target, it's very error prone. I think because yep. yep. <laughs> like literally, like you move an inch, like literally an inch. Because once you start getting close, like it's again, it's exponential, right? So it just mm-hmm. accelerates. So if you're if you're four inches away versus two inches away, you're going to measure two two x ish the the difference, right? And yep. and like that, so it makes it so fucking hard to tell like how just how fast it's falling off. Um, so can you just is, like take it and just like just kind of like poker in the just like poker in the side with it? Yeah, the problem is that she wants to move, right? But but I have found that like while she's eating, I can just like kind of nestle it right up against her butt, and then she can tolerate that pretty well. <laughs> uh, and so she's actually now down, based on that, below the range that they say she needs to be below before we can hang out with her again. So um, so basically, this weekend I get I get a whole basically a whole extra week of cat hangouts because I was otherwise going to wait until next th- next like. Th- Friday yeah. to find just out. Just don't these. don't put her on your lap directly because you'll you'll become sterile. But other than oh, that, no, I'm doing it just because of, because <laughs> of the exponential problem, right? Because like yeah, yeah. you could be you, she could be six inches away from you and that's fine. But as soon as she's like right all on yeah. you, then now you're now you're. Now I'm gonna active. yeah, I'm gonna measure because I think I think last night I got her at like a, I need to get her down to five of this. Who cares what this unit is? But I need to get her down to a five. And uh, and last night, even when I had it like up against her butt, it was at like a like a four point something, you know? 
So, so even like if I had her on me, then I'm pretty sure I'm actually under. But they, like, it was interesting because I've been looking up units for this and like what expected rate do- dosages for radiation are and like what allowances are for for like regular people versus people who have or in a nuclear industry and you know trying to like it's really it's mm. quite fascinating um, how all this works and and I think the most interesting thing to me is like just how conservative it is. Like, it's super conservative because with with radiation, the idea is that uh, that there's no safe exposure level. Yeah. That's not a thing, right? It's, it's all bad. Um, but we're all, we're all getting rated it all the time because of, you know, the sun is kind of the big thing. Uh, yeah. but, uh, also we're creating lots of waste. There's a little bit of just radiation kind of all over the place. So, so, no, so it's all bad. There's no such thing as like a safe dose, but it's another one of those like exponential things, right? It's like the more of it you get, like, like baseline versus 10 X that, basically the same like it is 10x worse but still basically but worse than all you know yeah, yeah, right, but effectively yeah. the same and uh and so it's been very interesting to kind of read about that and see and now that i know what the guidelines are from like our vet for this treatment and then compare that to what like is technically allowed and then, and then discovering things like so what i found early on was that if i was sitting if i was sitting six inches away from her so i was like measuring it just I had, I had the device next to me and then she was just like laying down six inches away so I could measure it and then I could just I could go look up these charts and be like okay so if, if I just sat like this and got this much radiation right then <laughs> it would take about a hundred hours of just like doing that assuming that it never changed right so it would take about a hundred hours to get to the point where I got the exposure the average exposure for one year that is sort of like quote unquote allowed for being a person, whatever, right? For mm-hmm. for being a person out in the world who's not whose job isn't related to nuclear stuff and excluding right like <laughs> your yearly dosage that you get from you know X rays and whatever kind of stuff because that's added on top. And so I was like, yeah. this doesn't seem like that big of a deal, you know? Really, um, mm-hmm. uh, but they have to be very conservative about it, which you know all makes sense. But especially on their end, because at the vet they're doing these every week, so they're just yeah, getting exposed yep. to these levels every week. And then when they send it mm. back home, if you've got like kids in the house, because because also yep. the guidelines go by age bracket, right? So if it's like if you're they say if you're 45 or under, you're supposed to stay on average six feet away from your pet when it comes home. If you're older than that, it's three feet. If you're a baby mm. or a child, then they say they should be completely separated. There should be no possibility of interaction at all because don't put your radioactive cat on, on your, your baby, baby which is good advice. at all yeah. good yeah. life lessons from this podcast people yeah. applicable so it's, you know, it's very places. interesting I don't, yeah so i don't know i think it's, it's fun to do science at home even when all it does is just demonstrate exactly like what you would expect like there was no surprise there right it's like oh yeah like it's radioactive it gets more radioactive as you get really close uh the but the still seeing the geiger counter yeah, there's something Tick up as yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, it was very, it was very fun. So sometimes it's a very you got to satisfying. Spend, it was feedback mechanism. You know? Yeah, sometimes and you got to spend you, eighty bucks and measure a cat just to, just to have some. Well, here's a question fun. for you: Did you take this Geiger counter around and measure other things in your house? Did I did. You, like, turn on the turn on the microwave and then like because people are always like microwaves to send radiation at. Did it? It has the know? wrong kind of your cell phone because this thing is detecting you know nuclear radiation specifically, so it's not detecting like uh, like. Like regular old radio waves and stuff that like that uh, that uh, you get out of microwaves, but um, I was I did I didn't actually try it. I tried it on a few like the refrigerator and you know other kinds of stuff, um, but uh, nothing did anything above baseline, so it was all very boring. It was imagine it, it, it came with a little card that was like it was like like warning levels, right? So if it's like if you're if you're ambient or if the, if the rates like in some area are here versus here versus here, one of them is like contact the government immediately, right? Which is which. Is <laughs> 
that's that's what new cat is right if you if you get so it's like it was funny like having this card and it's like if you get these measurements it was like a thousand ticks per hour or whatever uh if you get these measurements like call call the government right and get this like this is not right okay there's a a radioactive hazard there's a radioactive hazard right and i was like yes it's your cat that's accurate So like, can you imagine though if you were like, "Oh, this is so cool! I get my Geiger counter so I can measure my cat," and then you just turned on and it was just like through the fucking yeah, room. Just oh my just God. Just, <laughs> while you're in your house, you're like, "Oh, oh no, that's terrifying. I've been living here for years." Yeah. Uh, well, that's crazy. Now, speaking of crazy things, there's something else that we need to talk about that's, that's coming up. What is it's it? coming up. It's coming up the day the day that we're recording this episode. So I hope that by the time it airs, people have seen this because there's a movie coming this weekend called Jujitsu. Where, where the premise of the movie is every I think I think six years, every some number of years, uh, there's like a comet or some kind of thing that comes and it summons this alien that is basically coming to Earth to fight people. Yep, it's not like a conquering alien. I don't think. I think it, it just comes to fight people. And the alien also is just. It looks just like I'm pretty sure it's just a person in a. It just looks like a dude. Yeah, dude in like a, a space suit. It's like uh, a, te- a more a more dark. It's like a dark Power Ranger. Is sort of how I yeah feel it vibes. And so my understanding of this movie from the trailer is that Nicolas Cage is some kind of jujitsu fella. <laughs> is, is he a real? Is he actually a martial artist? Like for for realsies? I don't know. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't. But uh, I guess we'll find out yeah. if it's if he's really in there doing jujitsu. Wrong for uh, me to say that it doesn't feel like Nicolas Cage is a martial <laughs> artist. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, you're right. You're correct. <laughs> he's kind of an awkward uh, dude, but you yeah. know, that's that's the secret. You know, if if you're a brilliant martial artist but nobody suspects it, then oh yeah, that's how. That's Unless how the you secret really, that's how you beat the secret because they might use the shaky cam approach to hide his. Oh God, I, I hope not. Uh, but actually, so, I mean, some of the fight scenes from the trailer look pretty dope. Like, I'm I'm on board with this movie. This is this has the vibe of, of like Predator, but kind of dumber than Predator, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, just the idea of like this alien is coming and people have to stop it, and it's just like such a simple like '90s action movie premise that I am all I am all about it. Mm-hmm. I'm except, well, so except. I mean, actually, also, it is the predator because the predator also just comes to hunt a few people. That's a totally yes. like, yeah. It's not bent on world destruction or anything so impressive as that. It's just like you know what? I just it's just to, here for fun. It's just here to do a few <laughs> murders and then take off. You know? But wasn't it in the yeah. jujitsu trailer? It was like if the if this alien doesn't find a good fight, then he kills every like everyone. I don't or know. So, I probably. Thought, I thought I heard a throwaway <laughs> line where they like they basically take the predator's plot, but then like blow it up in terms of consequence. There be, I mean, there needs to be some reason that you would fight this thing, because like, because otherwise, why would you just people run could away just be like, like a couple days? No, but yeah. also, I mean, imagine you know, you're a you're a brilliant martial artist. You've been training your whole life, and the opportunity comes to fight an alien. I mean, that would be, and, and it's <laughs> I mean, you would, it's in you hand-to-hand would do combat. It. Yeah, it doesn't have tentacles. It's like legit, but it can it's turn just like invisible. A, if I understand that, if I from what I saw in the trailer, it is just a predator that punches you instead of rips your spine. <laughs> Maybe it does rip your spine out because that's still hand-to-hand combat. We'll find out. I'm sure is that we'll a jujitsu out. move, ripping a spine out of a human body? I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's jujitsu. Because okay. yeah, so, jujitsu is all about using your opponent's leverage against them. Like their spine. You know? Yeah. Like their spine. And uh, yeah, uh, ripping that out is a classic jujitsu move. Mm-hmm. So anyway, and also in, in this movie – this is there, there's several different flavors of Nicolas Cage. You know, there's like thoughtful Nicolas Cage. 
There's wacky Nicolas Cage. There's completely unhinged Nicolas Cage. This one, I, I'm pretty sure, is totally unhinged from what yeah. I've seen in the in the trailer. It so, looks like he's playing the role of that, like the the sagely, somewhat crazed sort of hermit of martial arts power. He's sort of like, like he's sort of like feral Obi Wan, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> We'll have, a, we'll have a movie report next week with uh, how this turned out. You know, so yeah. Uh, oh, I'm so excited. So excited. Uh, all right. Now, anyway, we got we to gotta move on from this because I can talk about how excited I am. But Roll away. All Roll away. fucking day. Uh, industry news. Apple has made one. an announcement. The announcement is that they've got, they are trying to look out for the little, the little folks. They are cutting their revenue share from 30% to 15% for small developers. Uh, so Adam wrote up an article about this and has a lot of thoughts about it. So hit us with sort of like the high level. What do you think, Adam, are the consequences of this for Apple as well as for mm-hmm. developers? Well, I think the- specifically, I want to say first that it's, it's not – it's not small, quote unquote. It's basically if you have if you make a million dollars or less in, in revenue, right, through the app store, yeah. a million bucks in a given is the year. threshold where you, yeah, and then you have to apply for it too. You don't just yeah. it doesn't just automatically it, it comes happen. with some some small some tiny fonts, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so take us away. Yeah, the caveats are basically you have to apply for it. Uh, you it's it goes on a year basis. So like if with if in the year you break that million dollar threshold, you basically like are kicked out of the program, right? So, um, and then the following year, you're now, you can't be in the program because like the last year you made that much. But then like the year after that, if the prior year you didn't make a million bucks, then you get to reapply. So like they've made it as convoluted and annoying as possible versus just being like, we go into your calendar. If you, up to a million dollars, you pay- 15% 15% after that you pay. Like, that would have been the easy... It's like a graduated thing. tax bracket situation. Yeah. Well, so if they, if they truly cared, that's what they would have done because that's... Nobody has to opt in. Nobody has to, like, discover that this is a thing. Um, so so they're, they're kind of being butts about it, but I think but I think there's a reason because I, I, the, the key thing that, that I saw when people were reporting on this that, that kind of, like, that just struck me as, as really interesting with a whole bunch of, of knock-on effects was that there's a company called Sensor Tower that does... Uh, basically does like massive analytics on the app store to try to figure out what the hell is going on. Cause it's all closed. So there's no way to know for sure what's going on. Right. So you need to take all this stuff with, with a grain of salt, but their, their whole business model is basically trying to figure out what's going on in the app store. It's sort of the so, steam spy equivalent for, um, yeah, the mobile market. Yeah. But only far only more, a, far better actually in terms yeah, of a whole company guesses. doing it. Right. Um, and so, so they, they sell data to, to companies and, and, uh, you can like pay them to do different things and whatever. Uh, so they claim that um, that it was it was basically ninety eight percent of all publishers, all companies who are putting games out on the app or apps because this is apps and games, right? It's the whole app store. So ninety eight percent of all, all entities putting out apps are uh, are under this threshold, right? Which is consistent with our own knowledge of the industry and our our talking to other developers and so on, right? That that almost nobody is making. Significant, like huge, significant revenue. Uh, of course, a million dollars is a lot, especially if you're a tiny team. And so, so that's that still doesn't actually expose just how unsuccessful most people are in the market, right? Mm-hmm. So, so saying ninety eight percent of people don't don't make a million bucks, it's like okay, but if in most a year, of, in a year, but if most of those made 
ninety hundred thousand dollars in a year, like then if they were small, that's still totally fine. Um, so, but but the important thing is that that two percent that's left is generating. Uh, oh shit! What was the what was the breakdown? Ninety five percent. Yeah, it's generating ninety five percent of the revenue, right? So, so again, flipping it the other way, that means that ninety eight percent of of people in that market are only generating five percent of the revenue. So, and that's that's the pool that this thing hits. Um, so now, to me, this is very interesting because because they set it up as an opt in system where you have to apply. There's like these kind of caveats, right? Um, then it's going to be significantly less than that in terms of the hit that Apple takes. So they're not going to take a 5% hit on this. They're going to take a whatever percentage of that is people who are aware this is even happening. And then also since once you hit that threshold, you get knocked out, you have to keep reapplying the whole thing, right? Then it's not, and it's, be, it's only 50, it's only cutting it down to 15%. It's not removing it. So it's also, even no. if they did apply it fully, it would only, it, the maximum that they would lose is two and a half percent, percent, right? right. Um, yeah. But yeah, so for, so on their side, on our side though, as a, mm-hmm. as a developer, so so they're potentially losing up to two and a half percent if we're being like very pessimistic on behalf of Apple, right? Um, on our side though, uh, we're changing because because you would think, oh, that's a fifteen percent improvement, but that's not how percentages work. It's 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 eighty five percent instead of seventy, so it's actually eighty five over seventy in terms of percent improvement, right? So we're actually doing twenty one percent better in terms of revenue, which is a fuckload. That is a huge. Yeah. That is a huge boost yep. in revenue for companies under that tier, right? So, so to me, this is really interesting because they've created a system where, and this is this is the whole argument in taxing as well for having a what they call progressive tax, right? It's as you make more money, you go to these brackets where you where you have to give up more and more of it because the idea is that at some point you don't need as much because you're doing fine, right? And you can afford to help everybody else out. Right? Is, is the idea, mm-hmm. and and but the the rationale. F- Further is that every time you take money away from somebody, you increase the risk that something bad happens, right? Because money is this is the system we use to to survive. That's true as people, that's true as companies, right? So as a company, if we're spending if 30% of our revenue is just going right to Apple, then that makes it that much less likely that we're around for as long, you know, mm-hmm. for as long as possible because we have less money to work with than we would if we got all of it because it's all relative, right? So it's like relative to all of it. If we got if we got every single cent that we earned instead of 70% of it, then we'd last almost 50% longer, right? In terms of before yeah, we ran the money. Again, that's the weird thing as far as the percentages go, right? Yeah, it's so a huge difference, difference between getting 70% of the total revenue versus getting 100% of it. Yeah, it's enormous. Uh, yeah, and it's, it's a forty-two percent increase. Yeah. yeah, it's huge, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So, if we got all that revenue, so because now, now you can go go to the small companies. Okay, right? a, a small company is on the verge of collapse, basically twenty-four-seven. That's like that's what a, being a small company is. A big company has a war chest. They've got investors. There's like money everywhere, like, and they, they still can collapse, and they do, right? Um, but they just got a lot more of a diversified uh, risk profile. Well, exactly. That's, that's the key is, is they have so. a diversified portfolio because they have other ways yeah. of dealing with their money. So if you're if you're like a supercell, right? You're, if you're Supercell, you're making like 10 different games at once. Almost all of them fail, but you're making 10, right? And you have the marketing power and the analytics power to convert those one that one or two successes every few years into something enormous because you're, you're just gambling, right? And that's basically as a large company, you get to gamble. As a small company, you're still gambling because that's actually just what being a company what is. It is. Mm-hmm. Um, but now you're gambling. You get to roll the dice once every like few years. And everything you don't is get a good role. Don't get a good role. It's you're in a bad situation. And similarly, if you like, if you need to hire another person, that represents now like 
uh, you know, one half to a tenth of your staff, right? Like the impact of hiring a person is fucking enormous. The impact of losing a person is enormous, right? And so, so you take all these things combined and like, and just the risk profile that a small business has relative to a large business is just enormous. Large in terms of revenue is enormous, right? So I like to think about kind of like, if you think about, you know, the, the richest person in the world, Jeff Bezos mm -hmm. for his wealth, right? Uh, compared to yourself, if you gained a hundred million dollars, that's like an unfathomable amount of money. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Like you would have you would have no concept of how much money that is because it is an an unbelievably huge number. Mm -hmm. You couldn't spend it all. You couldn't figure out what the fuck to do with it. Uh, you could give away ninety nine million dollars. You'd still be a millionaire. Yep, it's crazy, mm -hmm. right? Uh, Jeff Bezos's money moves up and down by far more than that on a daily basis, mm -hmm. right? Like it's it's a rounding error. He, if if he lost a hundred million dollars today, it would not affect him whatsoever. So same right? with Apple, right? So Apple and loses so, this two percent potentially on their end, right? Versus all these developers gaining twenty gaining twenty percent. That asymmetry is yeah. really really important, right? So yeah, and so that's that's it's a similar kind of kind of asymmetry. Yeah, to it's, that. it's the same idea. Yeah. So I think the interesting thing yeah. about this is that uh, so people are people are being are, are saying like oh this is probably just a PR stunt because of all the, the lawsuits Apple's facing for big monopoly yeah. and you know, and uh, and and there and there's potentially some truth to that. But I think to me ignoring that question, I think the interesting thing is that this is actually a good probably because it all depends on the details, right? But it's probably a good business move because the the companies that become so so the, the companies that become those two percent right that generate ninety five percent of the revenue right they come from somewhere right yeah, you have to pass through the eye of, of you got to you got to yeah, store you gotta, right you got to start as a small company and then you get there right mm -hmm. and and so so Apple has this huge pool of companies ninety five percent of its of, or ninety eight percent of of all the companies that are selling stuff on the store right uh, it has this huge pool from which the huge companies come, right? But they could only come yeah, out of there yeah. if they survive long enough to do it, right? And and so the higher the churn, so the churn there is just the same as is like inside of a small company, right? The churn there means that a company went out of business. And so then it's very likely that if the company went out of business, that the people who are running it go off into the world and do other things. It's far less likely that they start another company, also making games or apps or whatever, right? And so the churn coming in then is basically people making apps and games who don't know what the fuck they're doing come in, right? If they survive long enough, they start to learn what they're doing, right? <laughs> and they, and yeah, they start they making, grow. they start to grow, they start yeah. making more and more successful stuff, stuff that starts to move towards being in that in that two percent, right? Um, but the vast majority of companies don't make any money they in the in the app stores, so they fail and they get kicked out and they get they get churned out, right? And then, how much revenue did they create for Apple by doing that? Fucking nothing. Well, at least right. at least a hundred dollars because they paid for it. <laughs> right, at least a hundred dollars. <laughs> right. So yeah, so they, they generate <laughs> basically no money for the store, which also means that if they weren't paying any money to the store, there's no impact on Apple, no meaningful one, right? But by not paying money to the store, if it was literally zero, which is honestly what it should be, if it was literally zero versus fifteen percent versus thirty percent, the difference is enormous in terms of the fraction of those companies that actually survive long enough to move into that next phase, right? To have just mm -hmm. enough security where they, because if we, if we talked you know, many times in the podcast that have about just how many times along our own journey, we almost lost, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. 
it's not as significant at all. There, there have been there have been many occasions, at least at least like three I can think of, like moments where we were like where we looked at ahead and we we're like, oh fuck, right? And where we things just worked out. They just like happened to work out, and we had just a long enough runway to get to that point where we could keep moving forward. And yeah, but if that if that runway was always twenty percent longer, yeah. You know, then it's just, just that much more likely the, that we get to just skip past those those things, or, or we you know we stumble across the thing that allows us to survive, or we get the game out just in time, or or whatever, right? Um, so so to me, this is really it, it's kind of it's, it was a side of the argument that I hadn't actually thought about before because because I've been on the side the whole time that like that there should be a progressive tax basically in the app stores because anything else doesn't make any sense, but I hadn't thought about it from this perspective of just. I had coupled together the, the knowledge that we had that the vast majority of revenue for a store comes from a tiny sliver of the games there, yes. right? I hadn't married that idea to the actual rates that we pay because the, the, the implication of all of that, this is then true for all stores, is that most companies make the store no money. Mm-hmm. Those are the same companies that are at risk of leaving the market, of leaving the industry completely. Uh, if you were to, in effect, invest in those companies by and the same same idea as progressive tax, right? You invest in people by allowing them to hang on just long enough that they can get a better job, they can go get a better education, and they become bigger drivers of the economic engine. Since, of course, that's all we care about as people is how much right. money people can make. Sure. Uh, but, <laughs> but for businesses, it's the same deal and is a little less uh, horrifying, right? But it's similarly it's horrifying. Same thing. Um, yeah. So. So now my argument from all this is that this is probably actually a sound business move, um, but they need to take it. Uh, they need to take it further. Just cut it to zero, or or ideally, they should just do a progressive. Just graduate version. the thing. Yeah, just make it automatic. Yeah, it should thing. be progressive. Make it automatic, and then uh, because the end result of that is that that increases the likelihood that companies stick around long enough to become those things that generate. You know, like in the case of a supercell or whatever, a billion dollars or whatever the fuck a year for, for like th- well, those yeah, companies I mean, the are generating so much revenue for the app store. Like it's crazy. I mean, beyond that, though, the thing is like you you don't actually need a company to hit uh, to to land on that basically that exponential growth curve. Because if you think about you know this this uh, this threshold we're giving currently of a million dollar company, yeah. uh, you know the maximum a million dollar if you make a million dollars in a year, then you on the app store you pay th- again three hundred thousand dollars. Yep, goes to Apple. Okay. Uh, if that sounds like a lot, that's because it fucking is a lot. It's a third. It's a third. You're talking about, and we're talking about a million dollar company that, again, that, that might sound like a lot, but the reality is once you start running an organization that has fucking, I don't know, like even it's like six to 10 people who are of essentially like what you call, you know, upper, upper pay, like roughly upper pay. So it's anywhere between like the $1,600,000 bracket, which by the way, in games is like, if you're a software development company. Then you you have to pay competitive rates uh-huh. <laughs> so, know, to get to get talent. So this sounds like a lot of money and like a you know big thing, but the reality is that's like it goes so six fast. to ten people, and that's it. Well, so is that not not even because you also you know the, you have payroll taxes, so you like add about fifteen percent on top of whatever you need to pay people that just gets taken out because you're paying people, mm-hmm. um, and then of course those people pay taxes on their own income, so they take home far less. Right? Yeah. So by so by the time like so you start well, with a million, you're paying for an then, office. You know, potentially you're paying for services. You're, you're right. You're paying for yeah. infrastructure. Yeah. There's there's a yeah. So the general lot. point is like a, a million dollar company is actually uh, in terms of scale is a small is company. Extreme. A million small. dollar company is actually half of the revenue of the annual revenue of a typical McDonald's yes store. Yeah. yeah. So um, importantly, when you're looking at, at then at, at something like the apps again, we're we're talking about the app market in particular. So in other words, uh, we're not just saying like you know six to ten random people. We're talking like six to ten software devs and, and artists and stuff. Um, 
And so, but the, the interesting thing to me is like, you don't actually need for this to be a really good idea. You don't need that company to make a billion dollars the next year. It's literally the case that if that company were to make, uh, you know, say 50% more the next year or something like that, the store starts making like a tremendous amount of money off of that company, both in terms of like the, the total amount of the total amount of cash that gets generated by them doesn't have to exponentially increase for this to be a sound investment. Like you don't need to go from yeah. our size to supercell in order for this to make sense from like Apple's standpoint. No, you just, but I think it's, yeah, cause it's, it's the cost of churn. That's the thing that's not, that's not accounted yeah. for in the current system where it's just like, no matter who you are, no matter how much money you make, you just lose 30% of your, of your revenue. Right. And, and this is the same deal like when you're hiring people into a company, right? Like one of the one of the reasons that pay is so high and like in the tech industry in particular um, is because people are trying to prevent churn, right? Because the cost of of losing expertise and losing in, in particular institutional expertise, people who understand your company and your products and what you're trying to make and like know all the people and you know the cost of that to to create that is like is six months to to a few years of a person's time. And the whole time you're paying that person a fuckload of money, right? So if that person right. leaves, then it's not That's just – you're not just like, ooh, okay, I'm exchanging one cog for another and it's they cost the same per yeah, it's just month. Not how it works so that's not how it business. works because there's, the, there's that investment cost. And I, and I think we all understand this. Uh, or I guess business people understand this when it comes to running a business, right? It's like the cost of churn is fucking enormous. For some reason, in the, in the, the app space, in the software selling space, right, of, of the app stores, um, that isn't – a concept. They're not like, they're not, it's not part of the conversation. It's not part of the conversation of churn for companies coming into the app store and, or the app stores and selling their digital goods is also extremely expensive for the store and for, in exactly the same way that churn of employees in a company is extremely mm-hmm. expensive. And well, in fact, so this whole like, just take 30 no matter what, it just doesn't make any business sense. It makes no sense at all. Yeah, it makes no sense. But I think I, it's very short-term focus, right? It's literally yeah. short-term focus. Um, but I think there's, there's an, an interesting, uh, opposite here which is steam if you remember from last yeah, year they're, they're they doing the opposite yeah. literally the opposite so if you make over what 50 million or something some zany amount yeah. uh i think it's over 50 the more million. you make the more you keep yeah, yeah. it's over, a regressive tax system <laughs> over 50 then you get then you get uh 15 yeah well and for them they're trying um, to keep people on the, they're trying to keep the big companies on their store because uh unlike the app store who has a monopoly on that market Steam has a has doesn't have a monopoly in that same sense because there can be competitors and there are, and so so we saw you know over the past few years we saw companies like uh, Ubisoft and EA and so on like making their own stores doing their doing their own thing and, and not not putting their games on Steam because they didn't want to pay Steam thirty percent right yep. they're like why the fuck would we do that we don't have to we can keep all of our money and and again the difference is huge right because that means like they they now get a fifty percent increase in revenue. By not selling games on Steam, so that's yep, why Steam. Yes, yeah, so that's why. So that's why. That's why Steam made that caveat there. They're they're trying to they're trying to prevent losing that money altogether by doing that. But yeah, but but it is it's a regressive system where the rich keep getting richer, right? And then oh, the rest of us at the bottom of the store, and then, and almost nobody on Steam. It's not even the bottom money. of the store. Yeah, that's the thing. It's again, it's it's the yeah, well, it's the bottom ninety eight percent of the store. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Well, it's also possible <laughs> though because because. One thing we know is that stores do have a a content glut problem. Yeah, like they have so many apps, so many games coming out. Um, most of which are uh, not intended to be competitive commercial products, right? Yeah, but they, by having that churn, they're, they're guaranteeing that the quality of that pool stays as low as possible because people who have experience are getting kicked mm-hmm. out because they don't have enough money to 
make better stuff. Because if you think about our own thing, if we if we got kicked out of the store after our first like game, that would have been Talfight too, right? That would have been our yep, entire contribution it. to the to the ecosystem. Each game yep. we say added, goodbye to Levelhead, say, say goodbye, goodbye to Crashlands, yeah, yeah. And, and upcoming Crashlands too, right? If if we yep. got kicked out of that market at any point, like yeah, sure, we've got like some small less good stuff in our portfolio, but each one was a building block to us being around for seven years so that we actually know how to produce a high quality experience like and that, that we can get all the, all the stores and so on. If we got kicked out early, just like all the other companies are, right? The only thing that, we'd, that would represent us there is that one game. Where, and we, we diluted Tell fight, our- Talfight 2 and it's $1,500 of revenue. Exactly, yeah, right. And that's we, it. <laughs> we dilute, like we, as we gain more experience as a company, we dilute our own past bad products. And I'm using bad in a very loose sense here because they're not actually bad, but you know what I'm saying. Right. Unsuccessful products. Unsuccessful. Yeah. We dilute our own unsuccessful products yeah. with successful ones, right? But if we only get the unsuccessful, because the first one is the unsuccessful one every fucking time, right? Well, it's, it is hilarious to think. One. Yeah, that Telfight generated $1,500. And of that, the stores happily took $500. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> actually, no, no, sorry. I think, I think, we, made, I think we made like $3,000. But that yeah. was over, but I think that was over like a whole year. Oh yeah, like that's a, true. yeah. but of that, <laughs> yeah. the stores took a thousand dollars, right? That's imagine that's that's insane, right? That that's that's yeah, it makes it so obvious what the difference is, right? Like if if you're if you're a, if you're one person, you're trying to like start a company, if you're a few people, whatever, you get your first game out, it makes like ten thousand bucks if you're extremely lucky, right? And then then just you get seven thousand of that now, right? Like the, that three thousand dollar difference is. You're in it, like you're in a situation that's untenable already, right? And if you then take just three thousand dollars away from somebody, it's yeah. So, so to me, like this is yeah. when just, you're at that when you're that low, every last dollar, yeah, is extremely helpful. Yeah. Well, this is, to um, me, this is like, and again, like this is true in tax systems as well, right? The the whole like the this system doesn't make any sense when you when you have people who are on the verge of collapse when you force them to also sacrifice into the system, right? Because, mm-hmm. because those are the people who get churned out. They, they don't, they don't get the opportunity to move forward and then actually be the big part. Cause it, cause it, it's, as Sam was saying, it doesn't have to be exponential growth, but it is right. It's a nonlinear yeah. thing. Like you can, when you yeah. build on success, that's an exponential thing. If you prevent people from being successful, you don't get that exponential growth. And so you're, you're basically, you're sacrificing exponential growth for linear. It's just, it's stupid. It doesn't make any sense. So I felt like yeah. I connected those two dots and I was like, what is like, uh, this was already stupid. And offensive but, that this is how. But now, works. for some reason, it just got really obvious. It got you know? really obvious <laughs> that this is offensive, and so yeah. So anyway, yeah, of if, course, you, if you think about it, if you think about it as a tax and not as a fee, then suddenly the parallels are immediately clear. Because yeah, yeah. essentially, it's it's this is a giant entity that dictates the terms of the market, uh, mm-hmm. and and also creates and supports all the infrastructure of the market, much like the government, the government, yep. the government takes care of the roads and the power you yeah, know, supply. Yeah, it's a stuff, utility. Right? Right. The same idea. It's a utility. There are actors coming in, uh, trying to, trying to get by, uh, trying to generate income for themselves. And it's just a flat 30%, uh, flat tax, right? Which any, any economist will tell you a flat tax is always incredibly disproportionately punishing, to people on the lower mm-hmm. end of the spectrum, yep. uh, because of the diminishing marginal returns of wealth. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there you go. <laughs> yep. So anyway, uh, right, well, if you're if you're one of the stores listening to this, just quit fucking around and just make like there, you have Come no. On. It's it's unethical and it's stupid business to be doing it the way that everybody's doing it. So please just. Well, this is the first Somebody time that I think the framing is is appropriately uh, pointing out that there is probably far more to gain. By 
pursuing a graduated system like this than there is to lose in the sense that like mm-hmm. this whole thing of everyone's like, oh, well, I mean, you know, Steam's not going to not going to get less money. And it's like uh, under this under a circumstance like this, it's highly unlikely that they would earn yeah. less money on year one. They will. But on year yeah. on year like five and then 10 and then whatever, like it's it's actually because mm-hmm. this, is, this is this is investing in the future by increasing the probability that you get more good winners on your platform and yeah. more winners on yep. your platform. And really, you know, if, if they took it even one step further where they said, it's not about annual revenue, it's about just the monthly payout. If they mm-hmm. said like, okay, you know, your first 10,000 a month is not, there's no, yeah, it should be, it should be on the payout, not, not on the, right. Because then what would happen is, is if they feature your game, yeah. they give it visibility that month. It makes a lot more sales that month. And now they, they get justify get take, taking their cut. Right. Yeah. Uh, but if they don't feature it, then it's just laying around in their store. And if you happen to make income well, from I mean, it, features, because, it's, just, it's a know. discoverability thing too, right? Like, cause, cause the question that, cause one of the, one of the arguments that's always happening on the developer side is like, what am I paying for with that 30%, right? Because, yes. yeah. because we know it doesn't cost us 30%, like uh, globally across all apps and so on to maintain just the store as a piece of infrastructure, right? Like we know without a doubt, it doesn't cost that much to do it. Yeah. Um, and so what are we what are we paying for, right? Well, we're paying for on the one hand the probably we're paying advertising is what it is, right? It's basically it's a it's a built in marketing cost. But if the store doesn't doesn't market your game, then like why are you still paying that? that if if no traffic is driven to your game's page, yeah. Uh, if you're making one sale a week and and sixteen people see your game every week, mm-hmm. and then you and then they take thirty percent of that sale, you know, just feels a little bit. Dare I say unjustified? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, I'm, I'm a big Perhaps fan of progressive taxes in real yeah. life, and I'm a big fan of progressive taxes in markets. And uh, I, yeah. yeah, with the full a- a- acknowledgement that that these these companies, whether it's the government, whether it's Apple, whether it's Steam, whatever, they need money. Yeah, yeah absolutely. They just they, they do need money. That's that's a, a that's not a uh, in question. It's just uh, where that money comes from, and and how the effect of taking that. What is the effect of taking that money from people in the in the market, yep. and how you do it? You know, uh, so anyways, that's it's pretty interesting. I guess we'll see what happens in the coming uh, coming months. Yeah, but I think, but actually, but if you think if you take that in, ex, in the extreme too, because the same again, it's like taxes are. I'm actually glad that Epic is referring to it as a tax because it's actually the best way to think about it. But in the same way that that you know, whatever it was like fifty or sixty years ago when we had like really progressive taxes, where the where the top was paying ninety percent, right? Yeah. Kind of the the interesting thing because people on the one side people argue oh that prevents people from being incentivized to like do stuff and uh, once they hit that mark and like but the other side of that is that it it removes winner take all systems right yeah. because because actually I think it's important that people have their incentives reduced at some point once they once once they have won in the system get them the they fuck won out capitalism of there. yeah they won <laughs> capitalism. get them out of there because their existence yeah. makes it harder for other people to also win right. And so well, it, yeah, this also though speaks to people's lack of understanding about how, how marginal tax brackets work. Yeah. Yeah. Most people, which don't is, get it's, it. it's not that like if, if say, let's say like at $10 million of income, there's a 90% tax rate, right? That doesn't mean that it retroactively boom, I hit, I hit 10 million and now I just paid 9 million back. No, it's for every new dollar you make after 10 million. Yeah. You would only keep ten cents, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's so. So you would actually still have most of your money by the time you get to that point, you know. Uh, and then 
you keep less and less of it mm-hmm. as you go higher and higher. But you know, I, I, I get uh, it. The point is that that because people are like, oh, well, it's unfair because like you you work for it, whatever. It's like, well, no, because we don't even go into the ethics of like how it's impossible to become that wealthy unless you're oppressing people, right? But even that aside, the fact <laughs> is that that there's a finite amount of wealth. That's actually that's how economies work, right? There's a finite amount of it, and so the more of it that gets accumulated in one place, the less there is for everybody else. It's just fucking like brain dead. Simple, obvious stuff, right? Scarcity of resources. Scarcity of resources. It's so. scarce. The more of it that I have, the less that you can have. That's just the reality, right? So, and this is true also in markets. This is true in the app store because the more eyeballs that a game gets, the fewer that everybody else gets to get because there's a finite number of eyeballs that can it's zero sum game. It's a zero sum game. And so, by not having a progressive tax, where because if Supercell is getting like, if they have to pay 90% after their first $500 million or whatever, right? Then the incentive for them to continue making revenue off of that game and like, and like just dumping more and more shit into it and like building their teams enormously, and like doing every analytics thing in the universe to try to like squeeze out every last dollar goes down and down and down so that now they're back in the pool with everybody else trying to like, okay, that means we got to make a new thing. Or that means like, actually, we're fine here because that's enough money, honestly, right? Um, so we don't need to have have this uh, this exponential growth of the company because exponential growth of companies can only be supported by regressive tax policies, right? Or regressive, which we see in the real world, right? Or regressive platform tax policies, um, which again, like if, if those are allowed to be exponential, which is for some fucking reason, everybody's business goal is to have is growth, right? Exponential growth. That can only exist in an ecosystem where everybody else has to lose. So yeah. I want to, I want I want a progressive tax system on the platform and in real life, as just aggressively as we can make it. <laughs> Boom. There it is. It's the only ethical I, I, I'm approach. down with that. Yeah. All right, let's get on to some questions. All right, these questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. High step footed question comes from Fly Hoppy Axe Rampa, who says, A few people have said there is an unknown but real end date to the indie apocalypse. People that weather the storm now and release a game in two to four years will be able to obtain the easy or easier success of early indies. What are your thoughts? And right out of the gate, I say there is absolutely no reason to think that that would occur. Agreed. Because the indie apocalypse is here, uh, I guess, as people understand it. Okay, maybe we should just take a step back. The indie apocalypse is essentially just the idea that it's becoming harder and harder to succeed as a small developer. Yes. Right. Uh, The reason that that's true is because the tools are so good. The tools for making games are really, really good and they're getting better all the time. It's getting easier and easier to make a game that people would be willing to buy. Yes. And that's a, and that's a big business, right? Like, Unity, Game Maker, Unreal Engine, you know, these big players who make uh, these tools are doing very well for themselves. And they're going to keep improving those tools. As long as it keeps getting easier to make games, the the supply of games will be high. Uh, I I don't know if it's going to go up, but it will be high, right? And just because new platforms appear, things like, you know, Google Stadia or whatever, um, doesn't mean that it's going to just suddenly become easy again. Well, there, yeah, I mean, because the idea right. here presumably is that because these companies are competing on content again, which they which they hadn't been for like a decade or something, right? Um, and that's not fully true, but like that's kind of the idea, right? So they hadn't needed to compete on on content because like 
there was just so much of it and in terms of indie content, there's just so much of it. Just pick one, whatever. It doesn't, doesn't actually matter. Right. Uh, but now, and also all the platforms are doing well, all the, 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 they'd already won their different markets or, or whatever, right? So they're all kind of like just sustaining. But now all of a sudden there's all these new opportunities in terms of these new markets that people are trying to create. And so the idea here is that because of all these new markets, there's now a need for content again, right? And a competition for content because ex- exclusivity is still kind of the core tool that all these companies use to fight each other. Um, and where where exclusivity is and where these business deals are and where risk is because now they have to pay for the risk of you putting your content on their fledgling store right um, yeah then that's where opportunity is for you as the content provider that's all true but the end apocalypse has to do with scale and it has to do with the fact that there's a fuckload of indie developers and as Seth said there will continue to be a fuckload of them there is not enough competition. To have all those indie developers make a bunch of money. And what the indie apocalypse is, like if you look at how people have tried to explain it, it's not that you can't be successful as an indie. It's that basically the same number of indies are still successful today, like by year, right, as were becoming successful 10 years ago. There are just far more of them trying. And so the probability that you're in that successful pool just keeps shrinking. Yep. The size of that pool is like growing a little bit because of all this competition. But actually more importantly – the value of being in that pool is growing a lot because it's still like these companies are competing for people who've already established that they're successful and that they can make good content. Right. So it is not the case that in four years, like if you're like coming out swinging, like, Ooh, I'm an Indian. Like I still, like I'm going to make a game, but I don't have a successful portfolio already that it's going to suddenly become easier. Well, I think this is, but this is what I want to get to as far as the question. Cause the question was, if you, if you weather the storm now for you know, two yeah. or four years, um, Will you have an easier time in the future? And the answer is actually yes. Yeah, but not because true. of any end apocalypse related stuff, just because of uh, what should the tools will will be easier. Yeah, to what use. should be happening uh, to you as a business You'll and have to more the whole industry. Yep. More experience, more contacts. Uh, hopefully, you won't make as many dumb decisions. Maybe even get funding up front. Boom! Now you're guaranteed to be successful. Who gives a shit now? Make your own game, whatever. Uh, the subscription <laughs> platform. So maybe you have networked in. You know people at uh, at like you know Game Pass or something like that, and you can actually get a deal figured out before your game is launched. All this stuff. Um, you know, even even these tools that none of these tools were things that we even were aware of as opportunities when we started Levelhead Development, right? Um, these are things that throughout level heads development, you, you always keep your ear to, ear to the ground and start paying attention to where where things are moving, uh, who you should know, uh, etc. And so, if if you're constantly improving in that regard, then it really and this basically goes back to what we were talking about with the Apple Tax thing. It really is the case that survival is the key. Is sort of yeah, it's just it's just the key, and that's what we we talk about this in the podcast a lot. But it's really the case that like if you can just manage to survive for long enough, then an opportunity uh, will be there. Exactly. You'll you'll have a moment, usually at some point, if you manage to survive for long enough. But it does uh, require a breakout. It requires sur- survival. You got to be there to take advantage of it. But it also requires that you be prepared to take advantage of whatever opportunity comes up, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you are, let's say, a Steam developer, you make PC games and you put them on Steam. That's what you do, right? Then your opportunities are tied to your ability to. If if you only look at what's happening in the Steam market, then you're limited in the things that you could take advantage of by what happens in the steam market. That's the only thing you can do, right? If you are diversifying across multiple markets, um, if you are uh, at minimum, you know, create making it so that your games are playable in other kinds of ways and so on, right? Then now there are more opportunities available to you when they come up. Because first of all, you'll see them because you're not just looking at what steam is doing. But 
but you'll see them, but also you're, you're poised to take advantage because a lot of this stuff has to do with time. It's like, it's all timeliness, right? It's like, it's how so much is timing. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. It's how frankly. lucky like, are you that you've got a game ready to go, right? When this the new, switch launches, for example. Right. When the switch launches, you know? right? Yeah. Yeah. And you got it ready to go and you can get it on that platform really, really fast because you design the game to work in a such a way that it doesn't need as many buttons because switch is make, can make it limiting for, for your input controls. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or because you made the thing work on with a touch device. And then let's say Apple arcade comes to you and they say, Oh yeah, Hey, we like, we like what you're doing. We'd love to have this game on our store. Uh, if you can get it to us by the launch of Apple Arcade, of course, it's already happened. But like, if you can get it to us in the next three months, right? <laughs> right. This game. Is yeah, but these things not- are happening all the time. They're happening constantly. Yeah. But but I think I think though this is an important distinction because what you're describing is just getting better at making games and doing business. Yes. yes. Right. Which, which is survival. not the same. Which is not the same as the success of the early indies. Yes. Correct. There, with the the early wave starting in like 2000. Nine to two thousand twelve. Right. Pure content success, not business. It was, it was. Tools appeared to make it easier to make games. They were still pretty hard to use, but like if you were technically savvy at that time, then you could you could do it. Um, You could do it with a small team, and few enough people were doing it. Few enough people were even aware that it was possible. That the competition was very slim, and you also had. Things like Xbox opening up their market to indies for the first time. You had the launch of the iPhone and the App Store around that time, right? Steam opened up. The market, up. yeah, the market of players opened up. was only used to playing a limited set of AAA games, right? They then got exposed to a limited set of indie games, but there wasn't a meaningful distinction between the idea of indie and AAA at the time, right? Because there was still a very tiny number of highly curated games. But but I would say though, by by about 2010, you started seeing people talking about indie games in almost a reverent way, right? Where it was like, these are the kinds of games made by small teams of passionate people that are pushing the medium into new places, right? And there was this kind of like wistful, almost magical way of talking about indie games at that time. And people would actively seek them out, you know? Mm -hmm. That's not true anymore. There are Um, a dime a dozen. There are dime does. There's trillions of indie games. Uh, you know, you can't you can't uh, throw a rock in any direction without hitting an indie game somewhere, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so I think there's a there's a variety of cultural factors. There's timing problems, but the fact is, like, if if you weather the storm, like Adam and Sam are saying, if you weather the storm for four years, it will be easier for you to make and sell games, not because of the the market, but because of you, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the market will never be as easy as it was at that time. Like that ship has sailed. The tools are here, but the market for you, because of your success as a business, may be easier at that time, right? So, because as Seth was saying, it was a different. You were solving a different problem back then. Back then, you just had to get a piece of content fast. The hard part was making the games. Making the games (laughs) in two thousand ten. Like the rest was still hard. We don't want to, you know, completely discount that, right? But but it was. But it truly was really the case that like getting the game out and was the was the thing that you had to do, and that was the that was the the gate that people had to get across. Um, now it's not that at all. Now it's actually doing the business part um, in a saturated market, which is extremely difficult. And to go back yeah, again, to go back to the earlier stuff, right? Everything is a rich get richer scheme. It all is right, and that's true of the market. And, and in this case, rich uh, can just mean like your in how, contacts, how long you've ex- been alive, and how many contacts you've accumulated, and all this kind of stuff, right? That's a, that's a, that's a kind of wealth. That's a kind of opportunity. Um, and the longer you're around, the more of that you have, 
and therefore the more opportunity you have right so so yeah so so surviving is is the core part but but just surviving is not so you know, this reminds it, me of, it reminds me of like a apoc- you know apocalypse scenario if you want to throw this in the apocalypse language it's sort of the group of survivors who uh, has a belief that over there you know in in Seattle, they figured it out, and it's safe, and we're going to go to Seattle because it's safe in Seattle sort of mm-hmm. a thing. I think this is maybe Last of Us or something. I can't remember who. Someone's always going to Seattle to try to save themselves. So it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, there's a, there's a group of people who have it figured out, and like once we get there, it'll be safe versus saying um, – versus essentially saying we are where we are. And we will figure out how to make it work. Let's start rebuilding society here. Yes, and the longer we work on that here, the easier it will get. Uh, it's sort of like it you know, with this, the storm metaphor here. It's the difference between trying to sail into into calm waters when, frankly, there may not fucking be any ever, versus just working on your ship in the rain while you're doing all this stuff, right? And keep it, it upright. Yeah, That's keep all it upright. And make it <laughs> make it more and more weatherproof over time until you don't give a fuck that there is a storm. Mm-hmm. You just don't. You're just doing your thing. Well, and of course, what you'll always see in those movies is people would be like, oh, we got to get to Washington, D.C. Oh, we got to get to Seattle. We got to get wherever. And along the and way, on the way Well, no, I was going to say, <laughs> on the way, they always run into somebody who's coming from there. Yep. Going mm-hmm. the other direction. <laughs> right. Like, right. oh, it's terrible over there. We're trying to, we heard that the, it was fine over in you know, Ohio or some shit. Yeah. Uh, and there is the chance because that you build up your town and you get it all figured out. And then, like, the zombies overrun you. Like, that's. That has the reality yeah. of the world. It's it's rough, right? But but it is still the more sensible approach than just going off on a infinitely long, uncertain journey to a destination that you don't actually know may or may not about. exist. That may or may not you exist. Know what, what this kind of reminds me of actually. This reminds me of 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 finance of mm. of the the sage advice of my finance professor for investing, where he says, uh, "You you can't time the market." Yeah. Uh, you, you can't you can't ever know what the right move is when it comes to like where to put your resources. In this case, money, right? Yeah, this is true in the stock because, market as well as when you're deciding to make a video game, for example. Yeah. So if you if you look at a stock and you think you think, ooh, I'm going to put some money into that stock because I think it's going to go up super fast, right? Uh, the fact is, you're not the only person with that thought. Other people around the world will be looking at that stock and think the exact same thing. And there's a really good chance that a lot of them have already bought a bunch of that stock yeah. so now the because they deflated. believe it. So now the price is up, which means the price might actually be too high. And so when you put your money in thinking it's going to go up, it actually is going to go down. Right. Um, because what you, what you see in the present is a reflection of other people who have already been acting on the market, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So well, what happens in the future is also a consequence of how all the other people are acting the market. So it doesn't yeah. matter if you like if you right now see a hole and you're like, mm, that hole's going to, I'm going to fill that hole, but you fill it three years later, right? Like we did with Levelhead, right? Like, like if you if you do that, uh, you can't you can't you can't know what's gonna what's gonna actually happen in two years. And so, and it, and if the and if you saw that hole, so did everybody else, right? Um, well, you know, you know what's gonna you know what's about to happen. I think starting, I'm gonna put a I'm gonna put a date on it. I think within the next, I think within the next, uh, within the next probably two months, 
we're going to start to see the first wave. Actually, it's probably already starting, but uh, we'll start to see the first very visible wave of fairly well-polished Among Us style games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and it, it, it's actually a lot like the Bitcoin thing. Bitcoin was around since 2009. Nobody gave a fuck. All of a sudden, in 2000, was it 17? Mm-hmm. Boom. A single Bitcoin is worth $20,000. Not because of anything that happened with Bitcoin. And not because of anything about the core tech, but because everybody suddenly got it's on the same page yeah. about mm-hmm. it, right? And now, now all of a sudden, everybody believes that it has value. And then all anybody yeah, can does. talk about is cryptocurrencies and blockchain and stuff, right? So the same, same thing with Among Us. Like I was, I was kind of, I was kind of chuckling about. I think the uh, was it the uh, the video game awards mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, they had they had Among Us listed in their um, in their like top mobile games or something like that. And it's alongside tons and tons of games that that have come out in this past year. And I think it's so interesting how Among Us was there in the video game awards when like that game's been out for, for years now. Mm-hmm. And I was like, maybe they maybe they should they should uh have a little asterisk next to each category. It's like top mobile game asterisk that we're aware of. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so so I guess my my broader point with all of that is that um is that you don't really know what the market's going to do. And if, if you have an idea about what you think is going to happen, you're not the only person with that idea. And uh, whether it's jumping onto a trend or trying to launch into a new market or starting to use a new tool or whatever the case may be, you're not the only person. There's a lot of competition. And that huge amount of competition is what makes it so hard. It is, but it's still know? about timing. Because unlike the stock market where you can buy a stock in a millisecond using a robot, right? You can't yeah. make and launch a game in a millisecond, right? So there, there are yeah. some cases here where if you and, and this actually brings us back to that prior point, right? Um, if you are poised because of your tech, because of your knowledge, because of the people that you know, because of your business relationships and so on, to take advantage of an opportunity before somebody else is, because you can get there first. You can see the opportunity, and it's not going to take you three years to get there because the, the, filling that hole doesn't require making a whole game and delivering it three years later, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if yeah. you already have the game, and uh, and somebody comes to you and they say, "Hey, we want your game on our on our platform. We're launching this platform in three months, right?" If you can do that, then most people can't, right? So so you being able to do things that most people can't because of how long you've been around, and because of you being ready to take advantage of opportunities, uh, is a real way. That, and like that's where way, there's less competition. That's where there's no competition. Or yeah, or sorry, less. Yeah. yeah, there's still a lot less, because yeah. just. <laughs> scale you know you're not going to be the only one uh, who who can deliver a a port of a game in a few months but you will be one of the few yeah so uh yeah so hope that i think kind of answers the question so i think that's all the time we have for this week we'd like to thank our producers fat bard and jen coster for putting the podcast together and thanks to our community moderators who keep our discord running to get more involved in the community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the community Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.